Genesis chapter number 11 tonight. Genesis chapter number 11. As promised, or at least as hinted at, uh, tonight, Lord willing, we're going to begin a series that will go all the way through the life of Abraham. I love the life of Abraham because we find a keenly transitional time in God's dealings with man. I don't necessarily mean a dispensational shift, although that does take place. Uh, but I'm merely saying that in this passage we have the focus of God's dealings with man uniquely uh, transitioned. And I hope to explain what I mean by that here in just a moment. Tonight I want to preach with this title of Faith Discovered. It's a unique thing that happened to a Syrian ready to perish in a land uh, of the Chaldeans, a place where God typically would not have been spoken of, and yet God spoke to him. And so tonight I want to read uh, verse number 26 of Genesis chapter 11, and I want to read down to verse number 8. That's not too long. I hope you'll read it silently as I read aloud. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the brother of Mil- or the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren; she had no children. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, uh, or his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. They went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now you may say, Preacher, why did we read that? Because it's where we're introduced to a man named Abram. Look what it says in verse number 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let me pause there and just say that that's part of the reason I fear for our country. Because God's still blessing them that bless Abraham and still cursing them that curse Abraham. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance, (coughs) excuse me, that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land 
unto the place of Sikkim, and we probably would know that better as Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. I want you to underscore this. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And we'd know that the town of Hai probably better as Ai from the book of Joshua. There he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask God to illuminate our hearts and minds. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you'd apply it to our hearts. We don't know how to apply it to our hearts, Lord. I'm just being perfectly honest. We know how to read it. We know how to study it. But only you can make it real to us. Only you can plant it within our hearts. Father, I just pray that you do a work in our midst tonight that would not soon be forgotten in our lives. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost, show them their need of you. Father, if there's one amongst us that's backslid, draw them closer to you. Father, if there's one here that's unduly burdened, I pray that you would give them liberty tonight. And Father, one that's unduly liberated, I pray that you'd burden their soul for the souls of others. Father, we love you. We thank you for it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's hard to know where to begin with the life of Abram. As I already said, this is a transitional passage. Something you'll find is that the Bible teaches various dispensations. God dealt with men in different ways at different times. But there's an interesting change that takes place in chapter number 11. I want you to turn back at the first of chapter number 11. And I just want you to compare the beginning of chapter 11 with the beginning of chapter 12. Notice the beginning of chapter 11 says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. So in chapter number 11, the entire earth is in view. And it's viewed in apostasy. The whole world had come together to try to build a tower to reach God's house, if I could put it in simple layman terms. They had sought to dethrone God and to exalt their own wisdom above God's revelation. And so where do we find ourselves in chapter 12, number 1? Now the Lord had said unto Abram. You see, the transition is God goes from dealing with the world in chapter number 11 to dealing with an individual in chapter number 12. Something you'll find is that God first began by dealing with His creatures in the Garden of Eden. And this family that was born out of the Garden of Eden, God was dealing with them and they cast God off. So we find that He purged the world through a universal flood. You believe in the flood, don't you? I hope you do. I do. And God used the family of one person to be a faithful remnant, and that was of Noah. Noah gets off the ark. The commandments are given to repopulate the earth and replant the earth. And so they replant the earth. Uh, But it doesn't take very long, just a couple chapters, before we find that the whole world is in apostasy again. And so in verse uh, chapter number uh, 10 and 11, we find that God scatters the languages and He again begins to deal with one person, with one family. This is significant because God seemed to do this over and over again 
until He went through one man that could offer Himself a sacrifice forever. He, through one, the gift abounded. So God is dealing through the entire world. But we see His focus and uh, His attention transition to one man and to one family. This is not only significant because we find a transitional change here, but I want to say it's significant because we find a man whose entire life is dealt with in detail concerning his faith. The Bible speaks consistently of the faith of Abraham, and his whole life was denoted by faith. But let me say before we proceed any further, that faith is always prefaced by grace. Now, I know that the Word of God teaches that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And I understand that uh, under the law given by Moses, the children of Israel were under the law. But don't you think for one minute that grace wasn't in the Old Testament? Uh, Man may have been under the law, but let me tell you something. Every time a man draws a breath in the morning, there's grace involved in that. When you open your eyes this morning, you know what that was? That was the grace of God that allowed it. If you're married, it was doubly the grace of God. Amen? That was grace. And I'm struck as I read this passage when I think about all the men that God could have used. But the book of Deuteronomy calls Jacob, but also by inference, it's talking about Abraham well uh, as well, calls him a Syrian ready to perish. Just a man in a pagan land that had no knowledge of God and had no inclination to follow Him. But by grace, God spoke to Abraham. What was it Abraham had done to deserve it? Not a thing. If he had done anything to deserve it, it wouldn't have been grace. Let me say a word about you and me. Is it all right in here tonight? I hope that it is. Let me say that you didn't deserve it either. Let me say that you and I were nothing but Syrians. (laughs) ready to perish. In a world estranged from God with no reason to think we'd ever call on His name, He called our name. And He appeared unto us. I want to say that this whole thing's prefaced by grace. And any time you find faith, you'll always find it prefaced by grace. What does the Bible say? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's always prefaced by grace. And so we need to understand that grace is at work in this passage. But as we read this passage, I'm interested particularly on the faith that Abraham exhibited. And I want to give you three thoughts tonight, just very quickly. And let me also say that if I say everything that there is to say about Abraham, you wouldn't get out of here tonight, neither would I. So I'm just going to hit a few high points. But I want to say first off that in this passage, the first thing we see is faith wakening. The Bible says that God's given to every man the measure of faith. Every human being has the capacity to believe. But it's important to understand what true biblical faith is because there's many different types of faith that we have and many different objects in which we vest that faith. So it's important to understand when we talk about faith, what kind of faith are we talking about? And when we look at the life of Abraham, we're talking about a man that was exhibiting biblical faith. This was a man that followed and obeyed God, that stepped out of everything into nothing based solely upon the Word of God. We're told in the book of Acts chapter number 7 that before uh, Abraham had ever gone with his father Terah into the uh, land of Herod, that God had already spoken to him. 
I do not know how long that Abraham spent in Haran in disobedience. But I do know that before he ever set foot in Haran, God had appeared to him and gave him a commandment. And the commandment was thus. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, your kindred, your country, and I want you to set out walking. Abraham said, where? And he said, that direction. He said, where to? And he said, I'll let you know when you get there. And so Abraham is given this commandment. And Abraham obeys, now listen carefully, partially. He leaves his country, but he does not leave his kindred. We find that uh, in the passage in uh, Genesis chapter number 11, who is the one that is spoken of taking the leap? It does not say that Abraham took Terah, but that Terah took Abraham. Still, he was fathering the lead and you know, following the lead and guidance of his father whenever they left and went into Haran. But that would not suffice. You see, God was not asking Abraham just to commit a group of tasks, but He was calling Abraham into a life of faith. You know, the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you've been saved, it's because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and not everybody that's saved is living a life of faith. But everybody that's saved ought to be living a life of faith. We find that God had given this commandment to Abraham. I want to say a few things about this faith. I want to say, first off, that the faith that Abraham was supposed to have was an essential quality for a relationship with God. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, that without faith it is impossible. I want you to underscore that word impossible in your mind. Without faith, it does not say without faith it is difficult. It does not say without faith it is inconvenient or inopportune. But the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your country. I want you to set out in faith and I want you to follow Me. And Abraham says, no. I won't do it. It's interesting to note to me that in chapter number 12, what does the Bible say? The Bible says the Lord had said to Abraham. You know what that tells me? The Lord spoke to Abram's heart, but He didn't speak anymore until He responded in faith. You know that God speaks to a person's heart by grace. We reciprocate by faith. If you're not willing to take God by faith, you're not going to take Him at all. The Bible teaches us that faith is the avenue of our relationship with God. And you might say, what is faith? If you want a quick definition of faith, let me give it to you. Faith is the effectual dependence upon God as He is revealed in His holy Word. That's what faith is. Faith is not just a religious structure, a religious system, but faith is effectually depending upon God, letting our everyday life permeate with our dependence upon Almighty God. And faith is essential in your relationship with the Lord. You won't please God without faith. Did you know that if you give, but if you don't give in faith, you're not pleasing God? You, you know that you pray, but if you don't pray in faith believing, you say, is there any other way? The Bible says we're to pray in faith believing. That tells me that a lot of people do not pray in faith believing. You know that you don't pray in faith believing? That's not pleasing to God. 
You know, friend, you can give the gospel out all day long, but if you don't do it in faith, believing that God will prosper His Word and do a work in hearts, it's not pleasing to God because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Your relationship with God, faith is essential to it. No matter what you do for God, you're not really doing anything for God unless you're doing it in faith. I'd like to say, secondly, not only was faith essential, but faith was an exclusive thing. It's interesting to note that the Bible tells us specifically that God had already spoke to Abraham whenever he was in Mesopotamia, before he was ever in Haran. But where does the record begin with Abram's life? We've given, we've given some details in chapter number 11. We're given a genealogy in chapter number 11. We're really more given the wanderings of Terah than we are of Abram, although Abram was with him. But we find that the narrative of the life of Abraham really begins in chapter number 12. It really begins when he begins in faith to follow God. That tells me something. Nothing in your life counts except what is done in faith following God. It wasn't good enough, listen to me, it wasn't good enough for Abraham to be out of Ur of the Chaldees. He had to be out of his country and out from his kindred. Partial obedience is disobedience. And you know what the problem was? As long as Abraham was depending upon his father Terah, he wasn't depending upon God. I want to give you something that may rattle your cage a bit. Faith is not really faith until it's the only chance we've got to see something happen. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Are you saying we're not allowed to have options? Are you saying that I need to give all my money away and then let God uh, provide for me with the ravens by the book? No, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Truly living by faith is this, understanding that any means that you have are in the control of Almighty God. That's what faith is. Faith is not being completely out of options. Faith is knowing who's in control of the options that you have. Faith is not about having only one chance for survival. Faith is about knowing who sends the ravens by the brooks. That's what faith is. You say, preacher, give me an example. Some of you work. Some of you even, some of you get paid, but some of you work. Amen. Uh, you work a job. How many of you all expect a paycheck at the end of the week? Raise your hand. You all work for free, don't you? This is the hardest group of people to get to answer a simple question. Every two weeks? How many of you all expect a paycheck every two weeks? Yeah, okay, we've got the technicalities out of the way. You want me to preach you a sermon and we're hung up on this. Let me ask you something. Who is it that gets those legs up in the morning? Who is it that puts breath in your lungs? Who is it? Listen, friend. Neighbor, you, you drive down the road. How many cars do you pass on your way to work? The only thing between you and them is a double yellow line and a little common sense. And people are running short on that nowadays. It, it's, it's not about having no other options. It's about knowing who's really in control. You see, the fact of the matter is, Abraham, the reason God called Abraham out of his country and out of his kindred is because he wanted Abraham to understand that his life was wholly in God's control. Faith is an exclusive thing. 
If you're dependent upon that paycheck instead of dependent on the Lord that gives you the health to go and earn that paycheck, you're not having faith. If you're dependent on that 401k, for one thing, it may not matter here too, too awful much longer. But if you're depending on that 401k, instead of depending on the God that gives you the years to live it out and spend it, then you're not having faith. Faith is not about living the secluded life of a monk or of a hermit. It's not about giving away everything that we've got and living uh, stricken with poverty. But what faith is about is understanding who has the government of our life. We find that faith was an exclusive thing. But I want to say, thirdly, that his faith as it was awakened, he found that it was an experiential thing. So what's experiential? He experienced it. Let me say that I, I do not believe that uh, the be-all, end-all... I do not believe that supernatural phenomenons take precedent over the Word of God. Let me say that very clearly. But I do want to say this. If you used to ask Abraham if it was real, Abraham could tell you it was real. The Lord had appeared to Abraham, and it changed his life. Faith in a person's life, biblical faith exhibited in a person's life, will always radically change and transform the way that they operate on a daily basis. The Bible says that we're not to look on the temporal things, but the eternal things. If you believe that, you're going to live differently. You're going to talk differently. You're going to think differently. You're going to act differently. You're going to smell differently. You're going to taste differently. If you really believe that, it's an experiential thing. It changes your everyday life as it did for Abraham. Uh, Abraham, there was a time when probably if you had gone and, and found Abraham, he would have been maybe in a pasture tending sheep. I do not know. Maybe he would have been in a field plowing and planting. But no longer. This Syrian ready to perish is now a wanderer looking for a city. It's changed his everyday life and made him different than he used to be. Vance Havner, uh, you say, let's see if I can get this right as I try to quote it. Vance Havner, you say it would do well for every Christian to understand that they are not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven, but they are a citizen of heaven trying to get through this world and trying to get home. The book of Hebrews chapter number 11 tells us that we're wanderers, that we're pilgrims, that we're strangers, that this world is not our home. The book of Hebrews chapter number 11 tells us that much like Abraham, this is not the final end of the matter. This is not the end all, the be all. Uh, this is not the end of everything. But this is just a traveling journey. We are sojourners just like Abraham was. And it ought to change whether we live. Uh, the Bible says that where your uh, heart, where your treasure is, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. The Bible tells us that we're not to lay our, uh, we're to lay our treasure up in heaven, not on earth. That tells me something. If a person's more worried about how big their paycheck is than how big of a blessing they are to another believer, something's wrong. That tells me if a person, listen, friend. That tells me if a person is worried uh, about there being more, more money on their account on this side of eternity then treasures on their account on that side of eternity, something's wrong. They're not living by faith. We find that Abraham, his faith as he awakened, was an experiential thing. It changed the way that he lived. But I want to say, secondly, we see faith not only awakening, but we see faith walking. It caused Abraham to do something. We use this terminology. We say, we're stepping out in faith. What does that mean? Whenever we take a step out, we're trusting the ground to catch us when we fall. 
We're trusting that the things we perceive and understand to be reality are reality. We're trusting that we're not being deceived. We're trusting that we're not misunderstanding or misinterpreting. Let me give you a good example. How many of you have ever been walking uh, up the steps and ran out of steps before you ran out of walk? That ever happened to you before? It's dark, you know. And you come and you're walking up the steps, and next thing you know, you're on the top of the step, high-stepping, trying to figure out what's going on. You know what you're doing when you're walking down or up those steps in the dark? You're trusting something's going to be there to catch you. We find that Abraham did what? He stepped out in faith. It's interesting to note the Lord had appeared to him once. The Lord didn't appear to him again until after he had stepped out in faith. He didn't need another appearance he needed some obedience. Let me tell you what a lot of believers need. A lot of believers in their in their dire in their Christian walk, what they need in a dire way is not a real good church service. What they need in, in their walk with Christ is not a vision from heaven. What they need in their walk with Christ is not is is not some kind of second blessing or manifestation of the Spirit. Let me tell you what they need. They need obedience in their life. We walk around with the cart before the ox. God has given us a command. And we say, prove that you're worthy of our obedience before we will walk in obedience. Prove to me that what you're saying is true before I'll take a step. If we're saying that, it's not faith. Faith is saying, Lord, you've told me something. So in faith I believe it and I step out into it. The Bible says that Abram departed. He left. It changed and transitioned his whole life. I, I, I don't know if Abraham had plans that night, but if he did, they changed. I don't know if he was going to meet uh, with the family at Christmas. Amen? I'm sure he wasn't, but it probably changed those plans. It interrupted his life. He had to change the direction he was going and go a different direction. He had to step out. Not knowing the book of Hebrews tells us whither he was going. He just stepped out in faith. So we see the steps of this faith as it walks. But I want to say, and I want you to notice, not only do we see the steps of it, but look a little further, we see the surety of it. I like this. Uh, boy, you ever read the Word of God and just smiled when you came to a passage? Look at verse number 5 with me. The Bible says, And Abram took Sarai's wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in her- let me just stop for a minute and tell you that even you know how providential God is? You know how you know how sovereign that our God is? You believe in the sovereignty of God, don't you? Don't get nervous. I don't, I don't think I'm a Calvinist because I believe that God is sovereign. Let me tell you how sovereign that God is. God could even take a backslidden detour in Haran and cause there to be souls brought into Canaan as a result of. That's how sovereign God is. The Bible says they brought the souls that they had got in Haran with them. Let me tell you something. You know why the Bible says that all things work together for good? Even in the midst of your backsliddenness, God is still in control. And God can still do great and mighty things in your life, sometimes when you're even unaware of it. But I like this. Look at the end of the verse. The Bible says they came, they traveled unto Canaan, they came unto Canaan. I like this. And unto Canaan they came. We see the surety of his faith as he walked. God made a promise. You know what God did? Now imagine this. God kept his promise. 
You know, God keeps all. I want you to underline that. All. Now, I, I know it's, you're not with me yet, okay? All. All His promises. You say, what about that one that seems impossible? With God, all things are possible. What about that one that seems so unlikely? Yeah, God keeps that one too. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All the blessings of His Word divine. Every promise in the book is mine. And not a single one of them will fail. God said, I'm taking you into Canaan. Where'd they wind up? They wound up in Canaan. The life of faith has a surety. You know what I like? The book of Hebrews says that by two immutable things in the which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a sure anchor. Let me tell you, and we'll study this later on, Lord willing, if He lets us get to it. When God was confirming the covenant with Abraham, I like this. God had Abraham set the entire sacrifice out. Now, this was a covenant that they were making. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is not a promise. A covenant is an agreement that's entered into by one, by two or more people. And many times with that covenant, that covenant could be broken. It is not something that is necessarily ironclad. I make a covenant with some. I've made a covenant with my wife whenever I stood at the marriage altar. But I might not keep my vows. Now, that's my intention. But I could break those vows just like she could. That's a covenant. So God's going to make a covenant with Abraham. So He says, Abraham, I want you to set all of the sacrifice out. And I want you to wait for Me. The Bible says that Abraham waited and he waited and he waited. And the birds started to gather around the sacrifice and he'd shoo them away and he'd wait and wait and wait. Long about nighttime, the Bible says that a horrible darkness came over Abraham. And the Lord put him to sleep a lot like He had done to Adam. And in the night, he saw a vision. You know what he saw? He saw a smoking furnace and a burning lamp going up and down through that sacrifice. You know what that was? That was God making Abraham's part of the sacrifice. You say, what's the significance of that? That by two immutable things in which God cannot lie. Let me tell you the kind of promise that doesn't get broken when God makes a covenant with Himself. God made a promise to Himself that He wasn't going to fail Abraham. God made a promise to Himself that He wasn't going to let Abraham's seed and let the Jews be extinguished from this world. God made a promise to Himself that the Jews would inherit the earth. I believe that, don't you? But that gives me more comfort. You see, there's a principle in here. God binds Himself by His Word. Let me ask you something. You ready? Have you ever heard anyone say, could God make a rock big enough that He Himself could not lift? You ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Let me tell you something. The person you heard that from was an idiot, okay? I want you to write that down. Write it in your Bible. Idiot. I-D-I-O-T. And then write their name beside it. Uh, Such foolish and silly questions serve no purpose. But let me give you a question that I believe is profitable. Could God make a promise that He broke? No. Because you see, when God gives a promise, it's written down immutably in His Word. Can't be shifted, 
can't be changed. The Bible said the world passeth away, but the Word of God abideth forever. We have a promise in here. We have the surety of this faith. But I want to give you a third thing. We have the sight of this faith. It didn't take long. I want you to look with me in uh, verse uh, number 6. The Bible tells us, And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, or Shechem, unto the plain of Moray. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And when he obeyed the Lord, what happened? Verse number 7 said, And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Only when Abraham obeyed did he see the Lord. The Lord appeared to him once when he wasn't looking for him. But after that, Abraham's got to look for him. He appeared to him when he was in Mesopotamia, when Abraham had no notion of God. But after God has appeared to him there, now Abraham must respond in obedience if he is to see the Lord. Let me tell you why a lot of people You hear people say it all the time. Well, I just didn't get nothing out of church. I read my Bible and I just don't get nothing. I pray, you know, but sometimes it just feels like I'm praying to the wall. Let me tell you something. I've been there too. And let me tell you why I was there. It's because there was some area of my life where I wasn't being obedient to God. Faith demands that we be obedient. And only through faith. You say, what do you mean faith? Faith, uh, God said, here's a life that I want you to live. Here is my word that I want you to obey. When we say, Lord, I'm not going to obey your word, but I'm still going to expect a good relationship with you. That's not faith. We're looking at God's word and saying, Lord, I don't believe your word. You told me that I'm not only to be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer also. But I don't believe that, Lord. I believe that I can disobey Your Word and I can still have the relationship with You that I need. That's a lack of faith. But faith is to say, God, You told me that uh, they that are holy shall see God, that follow after holiness. So if I'm going to see You, I'm going to have to live a holy life. Lord, You told me that if I draw nigh to You, You'd draw nigh to me. And I believe that. And I want you to draw nigh to me, so I'm going to draw nigh to you. We see that there is a sight that goes along with faith. And let me tell you something. When you really start to... You remember when you first got saved? How many of you have been saved? Oh, just a couple. Jane, put your hand down. We know better. How many of you remember what it was like to see with new eyes? How many of you remember what it was like to see the world in a different way? Dad just got through having his eyeball cut out, and uh, they know it's one of them. He he had he's been driving Cadillacs so long he got one on his eye. That's that's what both eyes had Cadillacs on them, and uh, so he had to get the Cadillac took off. And he said, "Now my vision is twenty twenty five. I'm gonna poke him in the eye that way he can't see me sneaking up on him. He's seeing with a new vision. Blues are more blue." Reds are more red. Has the world changed around him? No. The reds are just as red as they've always been, and the blues are just as blue as they've always been. The difference is now he can see it. Let me tell you something. Whether you believe God's Word or not, it's still true. It's still true. But when you put your faith in it, you begin to see it for what it is. Abraham, once he put his faith in the Lord, then the Lord appeared 
unto Him once again. I want to give you a final thing. I'm going to hush. Not only do we see faith wakening, we see faith walking. I like this. We see faith worshiping. What does the Bible say that Abraham did as soon as the Lord appeared to him? The Bible tells us that he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. I like this. There's a pattern given to us. The Bible tells us that he removed himself from Shechem and went and pitched his tent between Bethel and Hai. Now you say, what's the significance of that? The name Bethel means house of God. The name Hai means a place of ruins. Abraham pictures for us the sojourning believer in this world as he travels. We're in between two places. Do you know that? Our body's here, but we're seated together in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is not our home. The old songwriter said, My home is just around the bend. This is not where we dwell. We're in betwixt two places. We're headed for the house of God. And we've left the place of ruin. And here in this in-between place, we find is an opportune time for worship. I want to say three things about the worship that we see here. I want to say that it was a new thing in Abraham's life. Abraham had never experienced worship before. He did not know what it was to commune with God. God had appeared to Abraham. Abraham had finally responded in obedience. But the extent of their relationship we're not aware of. Dispensationally, we're in a unique time. By the way, if you try to understand the salvation experience of an Old Testament saint in the context of the New Testament believer under grace, you're not going to understand it. We find that at this time, uh, Abraham had not had righteousness imputed unto him by faith yet. That comes later. But God was still working in his heart and in his life. But Abraham begins to worship God, and it's a new thing to him. I want to say, secondly, it's a natural thing to him. It's a natural thing. So what do you mean, preacher? Nobody had to tell Abraham to worship the Lord. Nobody had to tell him how to build an altar. Nobody had to tell him how to call on the name of the Lord. He knew naturally how to worship the Lord. Let me tell you something. The life of faith will teach you how to worship I promise you, if God's not dear enough to you now, you just wait till you need Him. He'll be dear to you then. Let me tell you something. You have trouble now getting excited about what the Lord's done for you. You just wait till He's done a little bit more for you. I, I'm, you know, you see, it seems like older people have an easier time worshiping sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it takes a little kindling to get them backlogs burning, you know, but... A lot of times, older people have an easier time worshiping. Do you know why that is? They remember more of the goodness of God. They're more aware of their frailty. Young people are always ten foot tall and bulletproof. Nothing's going to stop them. But neighbor, when you've laid in a hospital bed, not knowing whether you're going to make it or not, and the good God of this world has laid there beside you, kept your heart and soul, give you the strength that you need, you know a little something about how dear and how precious He is. When you've stood beside a freshly dug grave of one of your children or someone that, that should have been burying you and not, not you burying them and felt the everlasting arms grab you, 
hold you close and let you cry into His bosom, you know how sweet and how dear He is to you. When you've had to get that phone call, anybody else scared of phone calls at 3 o'clock in the morning? When you've heard that phone ring at 3 o'clock in the morning and had to get up and put your breeches and put your shoes on and head down to the hospital, you didn't know what you was going to find. But the good God of this world rode in that truck with you, rode in that car with you, and whispered sweet peace to your soul. You know a little something about how sweet and how dear to you. And friend, when you set out walking out of Heron with nothing but the promise of God and seen Him sustain you, seen Him provide for you, seen Him comfort you, seen Him watch over you and protect you, seen Him take your hottest days and your most miserable nights and give you a song in the night and give you joy and give you hope that sings through the pain and the sorrow when you've left Heron with nothing but the promise of God, you'll build an altar and you'll call on His name. It was a natural thing for Him to worship. But I want to give you a final thing and I'll hush. It was a necessary thing. It was a necessary matter for his faith that he worshipped. You say, why do you believe that? Because everywhere he went when he was right with God, he built an altar. didn't matter where he went. If he, you know where he didn't build an altar? He didn't build an altar in Egypt. He didn't build an altar when he was out of the will of God, when he was not operating in faith. But every time that he was living by faith, he always built an altar where he could communicate with God. Let me tell you the quickest way to a discouraged Christian life. You ready? It's to live the Christian life without an altar. It's to try to be a good Christian without the help that only God gives from heaven. It's to try to do it in your own energy, in your own flesh, in your own ability, without the unction and power of the Holy Ghost. That's the quickest way to a discouraged Christian walk. We find that in Abraham's life, why did he build an altar everywhere he went? Because if he was going to walk with God, he was going to have to have an altar. An altar is a place of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And I believe in a lot of ways it's a place of sacrifice in the New Testament. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I believe there's an altar in the New Testament of whereof they have no right to eat, meaning the legalizers and the Judaizers and the ungodly people and the Pharisees. They have no right to eat there, but we know what it is. And there's a necessary altar, a prayer time, a devotional time, time of just listening. You know what a lot of us do? How many of y'all know somebody that has a talking problem? And I don't mean a speech impediment. I just mean they talk too much. God help us. Every one of y'all to be able to raise your hand. You're listening to one of them right now. And you know our problem sometimes when we pray is we do all the talking instead of just waiting and listening to the Lord a little bit. We want God to hear from us but we're not interested in hearing from Him. Neighbor, if you're going to serve God like you need to, an altar is a necessity. You've got to learn to worship God. You've got to learn to really, in spirit and in truth, worship the God of... You say, what's worship? Worship is when heaven and earth connects and meets in the believer's heart. Worship is when the believer finds himself in total submission to the Almighty God and in adoration to Him. Uh, if I could put it simply, worship is when we hear from heaven. 
And until you get to the place where you're doing that on a regular basis, you say, well, I go to church. Well, that don't mean nothing. People all over this city go to church. Hey, friend, most of the people in this city go to churches that God wouldn't even set a foot in. Uh, just because it says church, that don't mean nothing. You've got to learn what it is to have an altar and a place of worship in your heart and in your life. We see that faith was an everyday element. It was not just a spare tire that Abraham pulled out when he needed to, but as his faith was awakened, we find that it transformed his life. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never really lived by faith. You've been saved. You've been saved uh, through faith. And if you've been saved, you've been saved through faith. That's the only way, by grace, through faith. But you don't really live by faith. You pray and you don't really believe God's going to answer. You just pray because people tell you you ought to pray. You give, but you don't really believe that God will meet your needs. You just give because people say you ought to give. You read your Bible, you get nothing from it. You listen to the preaching, you get nothing from it. You don't know what real worship is. Let me tell you something, friend. Abraham had to have a point when he stepped out of Haran and started on the journey. Everybody that's not doing for God what they ought to be doing has to have a place where they're right with Him and step out. And I'm thankful that the Lord always provides a place for that. I want you tonight, if God's spoken to your heart, only you know what He said to you. But with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed as a musician slips to the piano, I want you to be obedient to the Lord. I want to promise you something, friend. You will not, you will, will not see God show up and show out in your life until you're obedient to Him. You will not see God do great and mighty things until you're obedient to Him. And so tonight, I want to challenge you and I want to ask you this question. Are you obedient completely to Almighty God? And if not, what is it in your life that's an area of disobedience?